Bibles tonight to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Did everybody get a copy of the notes that wants one? Anybody else just checking one more time? All right, 1 Timothy chapter number 3. This is the 13th and final lesson. It will probably be at least a part 2. It might be even a part 3. But we'll get started on it tonight. And the lesson theme is the essential nature of the local church. The essential nature of the local church. And we're reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. God's Word says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now our theme here at Anchor Baptist Church, as you can see from the banner, it's here every week, most weeks anyway, is centered around that word truth. And Paul writing to Timothy says that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Uh, We are in the 21st century, and we have the most amazing resources as a church that I'm sure anyone in the first century would have obviously thought would have been, you know, a little bit on the crazy side of all the different technology and different things that we have that are available to us. Uh, we can, and you can, you can pretty much look up on your phone and you can find a book and you can actually buy a book on your phone. You can read it from your phone if you want. Um, you can listen to it read to you on your phone. Uh, it's just amazing what technology that we have. Um, but the same thing that the first century had is of the most essential still in the 21st century. They didn't have an iPhone or a whatever phone, but they had the church. They had the church. And it's essential, it was essential then, and it's essential today. And so if you think about it, um, that's really, if there's anything that we need that they had, we have it, and that is the church. You know, throw away the phone, throw away this, throw away that, but we have one of the same things they had, which is essential, and that is the pillar and ground of the truth, the church. So if we think about it, um, what is it that's essential in our in our being a follower of Jesus Christ. We aren't going to ask for a list tonight. We're not going to make a list. If we had time, maybe we could, and maybe we'll do that next week. Um, But somewhere on the list, you would have to say the local church is essential in my spiritual life. 
It's essential in my being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it cannot be an optional add-on. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna be this or I'm gonna be that, and when I have time, then I'll just do church. And I don't think we see that God speaks about the church as doing church. It is essential. It is essential in my life. It is essential in your life. And um, that's what really we're talking about in this last lesson. Now, let's think about, by way of introduction, the ownership of the church. Let's go to Acts 20. Let's go to Acts 20, and let's think about the ownership of the church. Until we recognize the owner of the church, we won't recognize just how important it is. And, and, and the pastor is not the owner. The church members are not the owner. And we recognize who is the owner. It should help us to recognize just how important it is based on who the owner is. So we're going to look at three truths by way of introduction. I don't; These aren't in the outline per se, but maybe you have room to write these down. Some of it is great review for us. Repetition is the key to learning. Number one, under the introduction, Jesus owns the church. The Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed the church of who? Church of who? The church of God. Not my church, not your church. The church of God. Notice Acts 20, 28, which He hath purchased with His own blood. So Anchor Baptist Church does not belong to a denomination. It doesn't belong to a committee. It doesn't belong to a board. It doesn't belong to the pastor. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's the first thing that we must recognize from the Scripture. Jesus owns the church. Now, we talked about the next point in lesson number one, but let me give it to you again. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. The owner of the church is the Lord Jesus. The cornerstone of the church. Ephesians chapter number 2. And verse 20, God's Word says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. However, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. So not only does Jesus own the church, but Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. And again, we could talk more about that, but that was a big part of lesson one. So we're going to move on to the third introductory statement. Jesus owns the church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. And the next statement is this, Jesus protects the church. 
He protects the church. Let's go to Matthew 16. Please, Matthew 16. So this, this introduction is, we're hoping that we'll see from the Bible just how important the local church is. And when we understand who the owner of the church is, and who the cornerstone of the church is, and we understand who the um, protector of the church is, then all of it, the importance level goes up. Matthew 16, 18. Many of you know this verse from memory. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, Jesus is the protector of the church. Now, what it does not say is that the church will be protected from all forms of persecution. I mean, we see that in the early church. I mean, that little book that we have just a few copies left, The Trail of Blood. If you've never read The Trail of Blood, you need to read The Trail of Blood and recognize that just because the church is protected by the Lord, and I believe that it is, it doesn't mean that the church will not go through persecution. In fact, even in 2022, we may have great freedoms in Canada. But it's not like this in every country of the world in relation to the church that stands on the Word of God. Christians have endured persecution. Christians are still enduring persecution. And yet the church still stands. It doesn't have to be in a building with a steeple on the top, by the way. Nothing against that. You realize that there are many congregations meeting in rooms with soundproof walls so that no one can hear them singing for fear of being arrested. There might be eight people, ten people, fifteen people. They meet in different, different shifts because they don't want too many people coming into the building at one time. You're, you come in at a certain time. Your family comes in at a certain time. Your family comes in at a certain time. It's not just everybody just show up at 5.55 for a 6 o'clock service because it draws too much attention. And yet, that's a church as much as we're inside of a building with a steeple. I think this has a steeple on the top of it. Uh, as much as we're in the building, in a building tonight that says it's a church on the wall out front. Not making fun. I'm just saying that we have to make sure that our mindset isn't just this is a church. I mean, we, we were in a pretty humble meeting location this morning. I'm not saying we're, we're good people because we meet in a little spot. But it doesn't matter if it's a little spot like that, a bigger spot like this, or an even humbler spot like a, like a living room of your home. When the church gets together, it really doesn't matter how many people are there. And so it's the Lord's. When we started having a Wednesday night meeting at Anchor Baptist Church, it was in our living room, 813 11th Avenue. It's not, it doesn't even exist. The address doesn't even exist anymore. I was thinking about it the other day as I looked up on the, on the wall in my office in that beautiful picture from the 20th anniversary the Cameron or the uh, the Best Western Hotel is gone. The building on Armstrong Avenue is gone. 
The home that we started Wednesday night Bible studies is gone. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> Hopefully there isn't another one. It's kind of humorous, at least it was to me, to think about three places where we've had services, and they're not even there anymore. But the church is still here. Amen? Those buildings are long gone, but the church is still here. And by the way, the church will always be here. Jesus said it right here in Matthew 16, 18, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's the promise. It's an amazing testimony to Christ's promise that he protects his church from being snuffed out by Satan. The English word church originated from the Greek word kurio, K-U-R-I-O-U, kurio, which means belonging to the Lord. The church does not belong to anybody but the Lord. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to say something, and I, it's not meant to cause any undue pain or difficulty emotionally, but if you love Jesus but don't love the church, there's a, there's a problem there. Because you can't love Jesus and not love the church. Because Jesus loved the church and gave Himself for it. Remember, let's keep in mind, a church is not a structure, and a church is not just one person. A church is a, a, a body of born-again, baptized believers seeking to do the Great Commission. And there's so much more to it. But if we, if we love Jesus but don't love the church, we, we're missing the significance that Jesus placed on the church. It's mentioned, the word itself in English is mentioned 117 times in the New Testament. And of those, 113 are referring to a local church as a visible body of believers. A local church as a visible body of believers. Let me just give you a little bit quickly, and we're going to hopefully get into point number one. Right in our New Testament that you have in your hands tonight, the book of Acts tells you and tells me about the first church in Jerusalem. We actually did a whole study through the book of Acts uh, in recent months. <laughs> I'm trying to remember when we did all that. But anyway, within the last couple of years, and then it not only tells us about the first church, it describes how other churches were established as the gospel spread. You remember Paul's missionary journeys, and we looked at those. The next nine New Testament books, after the book of Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, they are what we call epistles. Those are epistles. They are letters. Letters that men wrote under the inspiration of, of God, but they were written to not just one person. They were written to churches. So if you look at the front of your Bible and you see the contents it's an easier way to look at it. And you look at it where in the New Testament, uh, you've got Romans all the way down to 2 Thessalonians. 
all of those books, they're epistles written to letters written to churches. Now, they're applicable in 2022 because we read in the Bible that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. So it's profitable even today for us. Then the next three books, if you have your, your content is still open there, First and Second Timothy and Titus, those were local church leaders. So it wasn't necessarily written specifically to the church, but it, those three books were written to local church leaders. So much of the New Testament that you have and that I have in my hand tonight was written for the local church. And it's written for us tonight as well. But we're going to look at two verses in this study. We looked at them to begin our lesson. And we're going to discover three reasons why it is essential. Why the local church is essential. So let's jump into this first point and see if we can finish it tonight under, under, with God's help. Number one, why is the church essential for the faith? It's essential for the faith. A doctrinal conviction that is unattached to the local church is foreign to the New Testament. Acts chapter number 2. Let's go there. Acts chapter number 2. For the faith. The blank there, if you're taking the notes, is the word faith. Acts chapter 2 Verse 41, then they that gladly received His Word, so I, I believe that means they got saved, they gladly received His Word, then right after they got saved, they were baptized. So that's why we do it in that order, because that's the way the Bible does it. You don't get baptized as a baby, that's not baptism anyway. You get baptized after you believe. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, he said, what hinders me from being baptized? You remember what Philip said? He said, if you believe, you may. And he said, I believe. And on and on it went. So baptism always follows belief. Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and, and fellowship and in breaking of bread. This is the church. 3,000 people were added to them. Saved, baptized. A part of the church. In our text in 1 Timothy, verse 15 of our text, it mentioned the church as a family. It called it the house of God. And it also mentioned it as an anchor point. So the church as a family and the church as an anchor point in that, in that, in that 
It was the pillar and ground. Pillar and ground. So a family and an anchor. So number one, it's for the faith. So what is the purpose of being in church? Well, there's many, but for this lesson, the first one is it's essential because it's for the faith. In other words, if a church is biblical, then it is helping strengthen my faith. If a church is biblical, it is equipping me to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And it's helping me to recognize that there is an enemy that wants to destroy me and put things in front of me and to give me eyes of discernment from God's Word. And so it's constantly pointing people to the Word of God. That's what we want to do at Anchor Baptist Church. As, as Mr. Franklin told me, he's met a lot of hypocrites at church. And I said to Mr. Franklin yesterday on his front porch, I said, that's right, and you'll, ne you'll never find a church that doesn't have hypocrites in it. I said, I'm sure I've been that way at, at one time or another. And I'm not proud to tell you that. But if you're looking for a place that has no hypocrites in it, you're not going to find it this side of heaven. But the church is supposed to help and strengthen us from the Scripture with regards to faith, our faith. And it guards truth. Most of you know my testimony. I'm not saying this because I'm somebody, but I'm thankful that as soon as I was born, I guess before I was even born, my mother was sitting in a church that stood for the truth. Two years in that first church, I didn't know what was going on at that age, of course, but then from age 2 to age 10, the next church was a church that stood for the truth. And then from age 10 to age 18, a church that preached the truth. None of them perfect. No pastor perfect. But the truth is perfect. Isn't it amazing that God allows people like you and me to give the truth? And we're, we're as weak as the next person. We're as feeble as the next person. But this truth has never been weak. This truth is strong. This truth is all-powerful because it's the Word of God. It is not the Word of Anchor Baptist Church. It is the Word of God. And so it strengthens. It's for the faith. Letter A, letter A, the ministry of the church. The ministry of the church. We said just a moment ago, one of the metaphors that the Bible uses about the church is the family. Is the family. In this room tonight, in the Vancouver area, almost every church would probably be this way. Not only do we have different culture, different ages, different professions, different languages represented in this room tonight, we are united by one fact. If you're saved, if you're born again tonight in this room, we are united by one fact, and that is we are all the children of God. It doesn't matter anything about my upbringing or your upbringing. If we've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and turned to Him and Him alone for our salvation, we are family. I hope that's a good thing. We're family. 
You know, that's why we should really try to get along. Sometimes we have problems in family, don't we? I'm not talking about your family. I'm talking about the idea that we understand no family is perfect, which means no church is perfect. Now, the head of this family is perfect. Who is the head of this family? The Lord Jesus Christ is the head. And He's perfect. He's never had one bad day in His life, and He never will. He never sinned, and He never will. We could just stay in line with the head. The ministry of the church. We are united tonight by virtue of the fact that we are all, if we're saved, we are all children of God. What we have in common tonight is much more than anything that could divide us. You know, Satan wants to divide the home. This isn't a message about the home. But because the church is a family, Satan wants to divide a home. But you know, Satan wants to divide a church. The church can get caught up in fighting amongst themselves. Boy, it distracts us from the Great Commission, and that is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ministry of the church. Notice in our text, if you have your Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's go back there, Paul writes that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. The three words, to behave thyself, to behave thyself, in verse 15, are actually translated from one Greek word. It's anastrepho. Anastrepho. One Greek word, which means to turn oneself about, dwell in a place, behave oneself. In other words, the church family in, is, is the context in which I learn and which you learn, when which, in which we learn how to live in a spiritual walk. We learn how to behave ourselves. Not just, not just here, but in this world that we live in. God's Word maps it out for me. It's such a blessing. But that's what the church is supposed to be helping us with as a family, the ministry of the church. As well in Ephesians chapter 2, let's turn over quickly to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, we also see there the metaphor of the church as a family. In addition to what we've been talking about, look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's the phrase there, the household of God. We won't take the time, but you could go on and read verses 20, 21, 22, and there's much more said about the structure of the building itself. In those verses, building is fitly framed together, verse 21, verse 22, in whom you are builded together 
So we want to be a sound building. We want it to, our structure to be sound, safe. This type of church is a church that is built on a solid base. We've been talking about that. The, chief, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, please. Titus chapter 1. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Sound doctrine. The, the word ground there back in, back in our text in Timothy, the pillar and ground of the truth, speaks of a settled foundation. A firm foundation. And that's what the church should be. That is the ministry of the church. Now, you see our theme here in 2022, truth received, believed, and delivered. What are we supposed to be doing as a church? These are some things, but let's go a step further. We should elevate truth. Elevate truth. Well, this is, this is what I hear, or this is what I believe. Well, you know, that's great, but how about let's elevate truth. The ministry of a Bible-preaching church a ministry of a God-honoring church must be built on truth. Not only elevating truth, but secondly, displaying truth. If all we did was elevate truth in and amongst ourselves, I think we're missing out on an opportunity. And so we need to display it. That's our witness. That's our testimony. That's our voice. Everybody here has a voice. And then we've got to uphold the truth. We display it. We elevate it. We uphold it. And by uphold it, it means obey it. So we can elevate it, but we cannot uphold it. And we can uphold it and not elevate it. There's two different words there. To uphold the truth means that when we find something in the Bible that we're not doing, then we say, you know what? Holy Spirit says, you need to start doing that. It's right there. And we say, you're right, Holy Spirit, I need to start doing that. We find something in the Bible that says we shouldn't be doing that. And we find it in the Bible and we say, that's right, Holy Spirit, I need to stop doing that. That's upholding the truth. It's not doing something because somebody wants you to do it except for God's Spirit. Do you realize that's where cults get off the ground? Is cults start following the man. The leader. Look, this is the leader. The Holy Spirit inside of you will lead you by this book. It's my prayer that this book becomes more and more supreme in my life. I got saved when I was nine years old. If I live long enough, I'll be 50 in June of next year. I've been saved for 40 years 
But I'm really starting to see, after 40 years of being saved, I'm really starting to see how valuable this truth is. Because so much around us looks right, smells right, but it's from the enemy. The only way we can see through it is to uphold, to elevate, and to display the truth. It is meant to elevate and display God's truth to the world. The world may be growing darker, but we have a great, mighty light. The light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The light that lightens your way, the light that lightens my way. And as someone has said, the, 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 the darker the night, the brighter the light. It's amazing how in the middle of the night when I wake up, that this little light, you can't even see it. This, it's not even a light, it's just a little screen on my watch. I click, this, I, I click this little button and it's got enough light that I can kind of see a little bit. It's not even a light, it's just the, back, the backlight of the watch. But this, <clears throat> pardon me, this is some pretty bright light. This points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the light of the world? Truth must be elevated. Truth must be displayed. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Talking tonight about the ministry of the church. The ministry of the church. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15. That ye may be blameless. That ye may be harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. This is applicable for us October 2nd, 2022. We can be blameless. We can be harmless. We can live in this country as believers with the truth in such a way that it says that Paul says among whom ye shine as lights in the world verse 16 this is how we do it holding forth the word of life Holding it forth. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You will never go wrong holding forth the word of life. You will never go wrong upholding the word of truth. We will never go wrong if that's what we're doing. We may not see what we think we need to see, but the Bible says here, Paul writes to that church at Philippi, and he says, you'll recognize that the life that you're running, if you're holding forth the truth, the word of life, it's never in vain. I often wonder, you know, when we take our last breath, obviously, that's it, it's done, it's over. Sometimes I wonder, 
Am I laboring? Is, is the labor that I'm laboring, is it, is it glorifying to God? Is it, is it honoring to the Lord? Is it, is it bringing Him pleasure? Because that's why I was created. Revelation. I was created to bring pleasure to God, not for me to live in a world and find pleasure in the world. And Paul says here, your labor's not in vain. Your run is not in vain if you continue to hold forth the truth. I find great strength in that. <laughs> I find great motivation in that. To live another day for the Lord. And I've not lived enough for the Lord. I need to do great, a, greater, a greater part of that. One more, one more verse. The last, next to the last book of the Bible. The next to the last book of the Bible. Book of Jude tells us more that we need to do as a church. We're talking about the ministry of the church. I guess we're only going to get through point A of number one. <laughs> That's okay. Look at verse three, please. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the what? Faith. Which was once delivered unto the saints. We must uphold the truth. We must obey it. We must stand for it. It's not the responsibility of a denomination. It's the responsibility of the church. This is the ministry of the church. Point number one. For the faith. And then letter A. The ministry of the church. 